Welcome to the Muni Lowdown. My name is Paul Graves, and I'm the managing editor for Denwine Municipals. Joining me today are Mary Ellen Ty, the assistant editor, and Greg Clark, our head of municipal research. So as always, there are new developments with Puerto Rico. Greg, give us a rundown on, on what's latest there. Thanks, Paul. In a press release yesterday, Puerto Rico's Financial Oversight and Management Board, which was created under federal law, federal law known as PROMESA, announced plans to conduct a comprehensive investigation of the island's debt. The legislation that created the FOMB, as it's known, the Financial Oversight and Management Board, gave it the power to conduct this type of audit, but the FOMB's announcement caught a lot of people, including me, by surprise. The board will form a special committee comprised of a subset of oversight board members, which in turn will appoint an independent investigator to do all of the investigation into the debt. Now, this was not a totally new idea. Puerto Rico's previous governor, uh, Alejandro Padilla, created what was called the Commission for the Comprehensive Audit of Puerto Rico's Public Credit. In a 2016 report, that commission asked whether Puerto Rico violated its balanced budget requirement by using debt to finance deficits, whether Puerto Rico violated its debt limit under the Constitution, and a host of other issues. After Governor Padilla left office in December 2016, his successor, Governor Rosselló, had a different approach. Shortly after his inauguration, Governor Rosselló removed the group of commission members, said the audit was unnecessary, and refused to allocate funding to support it. And about two to three months later, court reversed the governor's January decision, at which point the legislature passed and the governor signed legislation that just flat out terminated what I'll call the Debt Auditing Commission. So now we're back to square one. Again, given that the authority of the FOMB to do this is written into the, its authorizing legislation, I think it's going to be hard to challenge this. Some bigger questions, though, are the board's been in office for about a year now, almost a year, so why this is happening now is a bit of a mystery. This is such a fundamental question that, personally, I think that if they were really concerned about this, they would have addressed this sooner rather than later. Uh, Yeah. I have to say, I hope they bring back that name, the Debt Auditing Commission. I like that name. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit cumbersome, but it it tells. But the title of it tells you a lot. And it does seem a bit. I don't know if "strange" is the right word, but it it's in the midst of all this litigation that's going on, and now the board decides uh, to bring this forward. And I, it just makes you wonder whether it's almost like you know in baseball where they have the brush back pitch. And whether you have the same sort of thing going on here, is that, okay, well, if you guys want to litigate, then let's open up the, the floodgates and kind of see historically what's been going on. But isn't this also going to be problematic for some of the members of the board that participate in some of these deals? I would think so, yes, which might be why they're only going to have a subset of the board involved in this. There's at least two members of the board who have extensive experience with the Government Development Bank of Puerto Rico and or some of the securities firms that were involved in issuing a lot of Puerto Rico's debt. 
So they would seem to be conflicted out of participating in this. Uh, whether that's going to be the case or not, I guess I guess we'll see. Uh, some of the bond issues, the the biggest controversy in retrospect has been the many issues of COFINA bonds. Those are the uh, bonds issued by the Puerto Rico Sales Tax Finance Corp. And they were issued, I think it's fair to say, only to finance ongoing deficits of Puerto Rico. And those bonds were were a major factor in the uh, the buildup of, of Puerto Rico's debt, which, as we know, became at some point unpayable. Another big controversy has been the $3.5 billion general obligation bond issue from 2014. And the proceeds from that bond issue were supposed to keep Puerto Rico afloat for much, much longer than they actually did. Because Puerto Rico, as you know, started to default in 2015. The bonds were only issued in 2014. And the official word when the bonds were issued was that it would would take the Commonwealth through a longer period of time than a year or so. I think that points out something important that Greg mentioned earlier. We've seen the the sales tax and the general obligation people going back and forth in court, and they both stand to be losers from any decision this subset of the Oversight Committee makes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this progresses. I think there's there's a lot going on here that we're not aware of. It'll become more evident, I think, as time goes by, but uh, again, I, I think there's probably some motivations here we may not be fully, to- totally aware of. And not that I'm cynical, of course, but if they create whatever body that it is, it's hard to believe that they're going to come back without being able to assign blame to someone or somebody's about what's going on here. So, you know, it's like having an internal audit. Usually that internal auditor is going to come back with something. So, and whether or not the market in general sees this as being a fair kind of study, I guess that's another question that's just out there. But it's an interesting issue to think about. Uh, You're going to examine and diagnose what caused the fiscal crisis, because I think you'll, they're going to find that there were a lot of players involved in this. Yeah, I, I think in any, if, if they're focusing on the bond issues, you need one, there's one essential party that you need to get the ball rolling, and that's the issuer itself. Nobody issues bonds without an okay from the uh, governing officials. And then, of course, you need bankers to sell the bonds, you need, you need lawyers to opine on the legality of the bonds. So it's going to be interesting to see which of those parties uh, gets ratings. Yeah, that's a, that's been a controversial issue. So and this will be fascinating to follow. But the, I guess there's also another development on the horizon. Uh, Mary Ellen tomorrow with the oversight board. Yeah, tomorrow the oversight board. The big issue they're supposed to pick up will be pensions and Christmas bonuses, which Christmas bonuses are always contentious in the back half of every year. Um, They're often viewed as the 13th check in terms of like a 13th month. Employees have argued that they negotiated for them. They're part of their salary. Um, People who are not employees seem to take the position that it's a little frivolous. 
And um, sorry, I misspoke earlier. They will be dealing with furloughs, not pensions. The furlough issue there is that the current governor, Rosseo, has maintained that there will not need to be furloughs if the cuts he's suggested in his budget are put in place and the oversight board has maintained that um, they want certain targets to be met or else furloughs will be instituted. And tomorrow it looks like they're set for a showdown. So um, we're taping this on Thursday, August 3rd. Um, by the time people get a chance to listen, there will probably be some results from the oversight board meeting that starts tomorrow morning. Uh, so we'll definitely keep you posted, and certainly we'll be back next week to talk about some of the decisions and one of the ramifications. But let's move on to a sector we talked about maybe a couple of months ago, but we haven't really talked about much lately. The South Carolina Public Service Authority, better known as Santee Cooper. Mary Ellen, what's the latest there? Thanks, Paul. So Santee Cooper is one of a handful of agencies that have been impacted by the bankruptcy of Westinghouse. Um, Santee Cooper is partners with SCENG on two nuclear plants in South Carolina. And this week, Santee Cooper decided that they were not interested in continuing that project. We haven't seen a lot of disclosure from them regarding how much it will cost to take down the project, wind down the project. These are nuclear plants that were not completed enough to have any nuclear materials on site, but they're still large construction initiatives. The partner, South Carolina Electric and Gas, expects to spend $220 million in the next three months. Since the project is split 55-45, we can expect that they both will pay pretty close to the same amount. And then there's the Vogel plant. So there are two, two separate sites that Westinghouse had been working on. The summer one is now not going forward. And the Vogel one, according to an earnings call and some SEC filings yesterday, could cost uh, $25 billion to finish. They haven't quite decided if they're willing to go forward with that, but... $25 billion. $25 billion total. So we're clear, like, not $25 billion starting today, but right. $25 billion from day one. And that's uh, that's for the Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia, known in the uni bond market as MEAG, right? Yeah, so they're partners with Georgia Power and a few other utilities, and then MIAG has sort of split up its portion. So it has a much smaller stake in the Vogel plant than Santee Cooper did in the summer plant that is now not going forward. As I recall, they they, uh, they split up their exposure to Jacksonville Electric and one other utility I can't recall offhand. But they split it up three ways. Yeah, so they've done a pretty good job of distributing their risk. That also gives them more parties they have to consult with when they're deciding what to do. Because if the other parties are responsible for the debt, then they have a say in the progress of the plants, too. Yeah, yeah, and it's not free to just walk away from these. Um, Southern has estimated that it would be $6.3 billion in costs to walk away from the Vogel plant. So... So, Greg, any sense as to whether Santee Cooper is walking away from this project because they're just not interested in nuclear anymore, or is it just that this particular project 
just seems to be the costs are just too much, and now they have an opportunity to get out, and they're taking it. Well, a couple things have changed since they started work on these projects. One is that their uh, power load from their users has been going down, and the other is that the project's nuclear has become much less economical compared to natural gas than it was 10 years ago. Uh, be, the price of natural gas, as is, is most of our listeners are probably aware, has dropped pretty significantly due to fracking. So it's, it's a lot tougher to justify an expensive nuclear plant now than it was 10 years ago. Uh, there, there, is also, there are also some tax credits that the, uh, both the Georgia and the South Carolina plants would have received if the plants were operating by January 1st of 2021. The project delays that, that each utility encountered made the likelihood of, of the start date in January of 2021 much less, much more problematic. So they were facing the loss. Sandy Cooper said, we don't think we can get the plants done by that date. And Congress has not extended the tax credits. So therefore, that makes the plants much less economical. Definitely an interesting and complicated credit. And sounds like there's still more history to be written here. But let us move on to another one of our muni favorites from this summer. Uh, Chicago Public Schools. Greg, what's there's been a bit going on with the state budget, and now there's this Senate Bill 1. Fill us in. Senate Bill 1 is a bill that had been cons- that was being considered by the legislature. The governor vetoed it. It would have provided school funding in Illinois. The governor didn't like it because it treated Chicago schools much more favorably than he wanted them treated. He wants to treat them less favorably and other schools in the state more favorably. And given that there's a limited amount of dollars, every every dollar that goes to Chicago schools can't go to school district X. So it was a little bit surprising to me that this was still going on after they completed the budget because everybody knows that education funding is a big part of any state's budget. So it's it's a little bit surprising to me anyway that the that a controversy of this size is still going on at this time. They're going to have to get it cleared up relatively soon or else there will be school funding problems statewide. I think the the most commonly cited date is August tenth, that if a funding formula is not passed by then that the schools will have a hard time, for instance, uh, not just getting the state dollars, but borrowing in and borrowing locally in anticipation of the state dollars, that kind of thing. So, if it, again, if it goes much further, the governor is is going to be hurting the school districts that he was trying to help. At least, at least, in the, he'll be hurting them in the short run. What else is interesting in Chicago is that uh, in mid-July. They sold $500 million of general, obli- general obligation bonds that are also payable from unrestricted state aid. Now, that, that's not unusual, but the state aid would be intercepted in the event of default or bankruptcy. 
And included in the official statement for the bonds, which is the official offering document that's, that's given to prospective investors, was a 23-page opinion by Catton, Muchin, and Rosenman of New York in which they're a law firm in which they concluded that property taxes levied for debt service on the bonds should be treated as special revenues in the event of a, of a Chapter 9 bankruptcy filing by the board. The, uh, the special revenue status would make property taxes levied for debt service on the bonds exempt from an automatic stay under the bankruptcy code. Detroit was a case where property taxes were for debt service were not treated as special revenue, so this is an attempt to ensure that they are in the event of a bankruptcy, which we all hope doesn't happen. But it was surprising to see them. It, it, it shows you how tough it is for the Board of Education to sell bonds when they have to have a firm do a 23-page legal opinion to to opine on the availability of, a, of the revenues in the event of a bankruptcy. Normally, you see a two- to three-page legal opinion that accompanies uh, a bond issue. So those are the big events with Chicago schools. And the state of Illinois is right in the middle of that, so... We'll see how that plays itself out. So, looks like we're drawing another edition of the Muni Lowdown to a close. Want everyone to know I won't be here next week. I'm going to hang out with a good friend of mine's Barack Obama at Martha's Vineyard. Actually, that's not true. I'm going to be at Martha's Vineyard with my family, and it so happens that President Obama is going to be there as well. Well, I have no I, idea if I'm going to see him, but you have a good a small place. It's not a huge island. You you stand a good chance of uh, bumping into him at the Seven Eleven or wherever. Uh, that's right. That's right. I might come back with a lot of stories, and I might come back with none. But we'll see. We'll see. So I hope everyone enjoyed our latest edition of the Muni Lowdown. And Mary Ellen, Greg, and Seth, we'll talk to you next week. Take care.